0: Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues the Big Three series on faith, hope, and love as he takes a look at hope for our world. Let's listen. So from afar, it looks like we have three crosses hanging up here, but these are actually words. Faith, hope, and love. And that's because we are in week two of a series titled The Big Three where we talk about these three qualities, these essential qualities of every Christian's life. Yes, we get this from the letter to First Corinthians, uh, when Paul says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So if you are with us last week, or if you were watching online, we talked about hope on an individual level, on a personal level, how God gives us hope. Well, today we are talking about hope on a big picture level. How does God provide hope for our world, for our society as a whole? And to begin our discussion, I want to highlight these two famous quotes on hope. The first is by Aristotle, and Aristotle says that hope is a waking dream. I really kind of like that. Because Aristotle recognizes that hope is a dream. It's not a reality yet. It's something where you look to the future and you dream about it. But it's a waking dream. It's in process. You catch glimpses of that dream becoming reality. Or the Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard says, Hope is a passion for what is possible. I like that too. Because again, hope is looking towards the future about what is possible, even if it's not currently so. And then you have a passion for making that happen, making that passion become the reality. What do those two quotes have in common? Well, I believe they both speak about how hope is about possibilities, not about how things currently are. Yes, hope looks to what could be in the future, even as that is different from what actually is in the present. Uh, for that reason, experience and hope often stand in contradiction to one another. Yes, what I experience and what I hope for are not necessarily the same thing. I'll give you an example I experience this world to be of a bit of a broken place. I mean, we live in a world of deadly pandemics, of wars and, and drought, of shootings and, and riots. This is the world I experience. But I hope for a world of peace. I hope for a world of, full of healing and joy, uh, of love and forgiveness, of mutual respect and leadership that is self-sacrificial, But experience and hope often stand in contradiction to one another. So, what are we to do? When we recognize this contradiction, what are we to do? Do we simply give up on hope? Some of us have, if we're being honest. We recognize that we are hopeless rather than hopeful. We view this world through cynical eyes. Believing that nothing is ever really going to change. Nothing's going to truly get better. And we think of ourselves as realists. But as Christians, I do not believe that we can accept that as an option. Now as Christians, we must choose hope. Because the Christian hope declares God's promise of a restored and redeemed world. The Christian hope declares that what is, is not what will always be. John Calvin puts it like this. In the contradiction between the word of promise and the experiential reality of suffering and death, faith takes its stand on hope. Yes, Christians are people of hope. But what does this really look like? What does hope look like on a practical level? Well, that's what I want to study today, but before we look at what hope looks like, let's look at what hope is not, okay? So, hope is not a retreat from the world, like a kind of Christian escapism. Yeah, hope is not the belief that, okay, one day God's going to take me to heaven, and, and so who cares how this world really turns out? Now, that perspective would turn Christians into people who are simply biding their time, waiting for God to rescue them while the problems of the world rage on around us. But hope is not about escaping this world. Now, the Christian hope is for this world. It is for today, right here and right now. To fully understand what hope is, we are going to read... One of the preeminent sections of Scripture that speaks to us about the future restored world. It comes from Romans chapter 8, and it's, it's a bit of a lengthy section of Scripture, but it's a good one. It's one that we need to read in its entirety because it just builds off itself as it continues to go deeper and deeper looking at our future restored world. We're actually going to pick up in verse 18. So if you want to read the first 17 verses, go home and make that your Bible study this week. You will not be sorry you did. This is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. But we'll begin in verse 18 when Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So Paul begins talking about our present sufferings. And that term, present sufferings, is pretty vague, isn't it? And I think that's intentionally so. So that you can add your own sufferings to that. So go ahead and think of a way that you're currently suffering. It could be a big way or it could be a small way. But that is your present suffering. The unfortunate reality is that suffering is just a part of the human condition. It is a universal reality for all of us. There will be times of life where we go through suffering. But, Paul says, present sufferings are not worth comparing to the future glory that will be revealed by God. This is the heart of Paul's message. That what you're struggling with now, and and Paul in no way wants to discount that, but it cannot be compared to the future glory that God has planned for this world. That's true for us as individuals, and it's also true for society, for our world as a whole. Let's find out how. Paul continues, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to frailty. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Yes, even creation itself is suffering. It's not just you and I who suffer, but the world itself suffers. And what is the cause of the world's suffering? Well, unfortunately, we might have to look in the mirror for that one. Paul tells us it's because of humanity's sinfulness that creation itself suffers. If you doubt that to be true, simply consider our warming climate, that is the result of our reliance on fossil fuels and other carbon emissions. Or notice the ways throughout history that humans have exploited natural resources rather than really giving thought to our responsibility as stewards of creation. Or consider how even this year, 47 species of animals have become extinct simply because of humanity's choices. Yes, creation, Paul says in a poetic way, is subject to death and decay. And it groans. I mean, what a good word choice is that? It groans. You and I groan when we're in pain, and we just want that pain to end. And creation itself groans as it waits for its future redemption. Paul continues, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. So the world suffers. We also suffer. This is shaping up to be a really depressing sermon, isn't it? But, but, we still have hope. What is that hope? Paul says we've been given a foretaste, a glimpse of the future redemption. Yes, so as we are looking at this Today, we realize that we have been given a glimpse of what is yet to come. It is a foretaste of God's redemption. The word foretaste here in Greek is a And pareche was used in the first century during the time of harvest. Yes, this was a time where if you were creating a harvest and you saw the crops beginning to ripen, and you would say, ah. It's a parache, meaning we're right around the corner for the full bountiful harvest. You've been given a glimpse of what is to come, a foretaste of the future harvest. So in the same way, the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is our a It's our foretaste. We are given a glimpse of what is to come the future redemption of God, because we have the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. So when you experience the Holy Spirit, when you feel God at work in you, that's a taste of our future redemption. Now, I hope you're seeing here that Paul believes that hope is more than just wishful thinking. Yes, hope is more than us simply naively believing that things are better than they seem. Instead, hope is rooted deeply in us having already received a taste of what is to come. It's like when you're planning a wedding, and you go to the caterer, and the caterer gives you a taste of a lot of different dishes— Uh, Even a taste of the cakes, where you get to choose what you want for your wedding based off of the taste testing that you get to do. But you would get kicked out if you said, I want the entire plate. I want the entire meal and I want a cake to go. That's not how it works. Instead, a taste is enough. It's enough for you to know what that future meal is going to taste like. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. You don't have full redemption yet. We've not arrived at the future glory yet. We're still in our present sufferings. But even in your present sufferings, the Holy Spirit is here. God is present. And that gives us a taste of what is to come. Now, you may be wondering, okay, but how does the Holy Spirit really show up in my life? Like on a practical level? How can I really experience the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is a taste of what is to come? And I think Paul knows what you're thinking, because Paul now shares with you some practical examples of how you can experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's read on. Paul says, we were given this hope when we were saved, but hope that is seen Is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. As you can see here, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives in some really neat ways. And the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to get us connected with God, connected with the divine. I'm going to highlight three ways that we are connected with God through the Holy Spirit today that Paul lists here. The first is that the Holy Spirit helps you in your weakness. Yes, that means that in your weakest moments, you are not alone. And you need to remember in your weakest moments. That God's Spirit is still with you, seeking to give you hope in those low moments of life. We all experience the low moments. That shouldn't surprise us. Remember, these are our present sufferings. But within that present suffering, the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, seeking to help you in that tough moment. That's why last week we talked about repeating that phrase, hope in God, hope in God, so that during those low moments, you can just remind yourself, God is here, and so I can hope. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit intercedes for you through prayer. Now, that's a pretty profound statement for Paul to make. I mean, that's something that you could probably go home and meditate on for a while, going, wait, 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 the Holy Spirit intercedes for me through prayer. What does that mean? Well, I think part of what that means is that even when you have no idea what to say to God, even when you're in a season of life where you feel so disconnected from God, even in that moment, God within you, the Holy Spirit is praying for you, is interceding for you and getting you connected to God. That's that's a pretty incredible statement for Paul to make. And the last thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit works for your good. Yes, Paul says that God works for your good in all things. What does all things include? I think it includes everything, doesn't it? That means it includes the good times of life and the hard times of life. It includes the sickness and the health. It includes the joy and the sorrow. In all things in your life, God is actively working for your good. That does not mean that God causes the hard things that you go through, but God is willing to use any experience you go through for your ultimate good. These are three ways that the Holy Spirit is actively a part of our lives, meaning that we can say confidently, That there is pain in this world. But there is also God in this world. And who do you think is going to have the final say? Now what's our conclusion based on all of this? All that Paul just said and declared to us. What is the natural conclusion? Well, here's how Paul concludes it. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? Let those words sink deeply into your soul for a second. Because God is for you. And if God is for you, then who could possibly, possibly be against you? I want to remind myself of that each and every day. And so I actually framed it. I've got this that sits on my desk in my office. You can come visit me and you'll see this in the office, but it simply says, God is for you. I'll show you the choir you. God is for you because I don't want to ever forget this. God is for you. And if God is for your good, then what could possibly get in the way of that? Well, Paul takes that to its natural conclusion. Paul says, then who... Shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Basically, Paul is saying, okay, if God is for me, then what could possibly separate me from God? What could separate me from the love that God has for me? And then Paul goes and lists just about every possibility, doesn't he? I mean, Paul says, okay, in this world you will have times Of trouble and hardship. That's part of the human condition. And in this world, Christians at times will be persecuted and ostracized. In this world, there will be times of famine and hunger. Supply chains will get messed up. Droughts will come and affect water supplies. In this time and world, people will experience nakedness. They will feel a lack of security. In this world, there will be danger, violence, sometimes in our own community, and sometimes country, first country. Yes, in this world, you will have trouble. But can any of the troubles that Paul just listed here, can any of them possibly separate you from the love of God? In fact, is anything powerful enough to separate you from God's love? Paul would emphatically Say no. The next verse he says, No, in all these things, in everything we just listed, we are more than conquerors. Meaning that if you're going through any of those things, you can conquer that experience through him, through God who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present or the future, nor any powers or height or depth of any kind, know nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Paul believes, that nothing in all of creation, not even death itself, not your future worries or your past regrets, nothing is powerful enough to separate you from the love of God. It is in this that we place our hope. So suffering and pain are real. There's no getting around that, but they're also temporary. Yes, every hurt will eventually be healed through the love of God. Let me give you an example of this. I've got a good friend who in college was diagnosed with a disease, and the disease was a very rare kidney disease. It attacked both of his kidneys. And so one day, he's a carefree college student, and the next day, he's on dialysis. Well, his, uh, his mom actually said, let me give you a kidney. And she was a match, hoping that with this new kidney, he would be okay. He tells a story. He remembers waking up in the hospital room. And something in him realized that the procedure did not work. And sure enough, later on, he found out that the disease that attacked his two original kidneys attacked the new kidney transplant as well. And he said, in that moment, he was surrounded by one particular feeling. And it wasn't anger. It wasn't despair. The feeling was hope. He felt hope in that moment. And he tells that as the doctor opened up the hospital room to share with him the news that he was going to be on dialysis for at least, you know, the next little bit. He said he saw light come into that room with the doctor. And he was filled with this profound sense of God's presence and God's peace. Now, that is not to say that his life is easy. Because 10 years later, he's still on dialysis. But he's a good friend who's a person of hope. Who recognizes God's presence in the world, even in our present sufferings. And so whatever you're going through, whatever is a challenge for you, please know that we are people of hope. We worship the God of hope. And that these present sufferings can in no way be compared with the future glory that God has planned for us. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.